Turning your Bibles to Genesis chapter 45. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. Please, come near to me. So they came near. I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now... It was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Hurry, and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near to me, you and your children, your children's children, your flocks and your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty, for there are still five years of famine. And behold, your eyes... And the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. So you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt, and of all that you have seen. And you shall hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. Now, the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house. Joseph's brothers have come. So it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, do this. Load your animals and depart. Go to the land of Canaan. Bring your father and your households and come to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you will eat the fat of the land. Now you are commanded, do this. Take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives. Bring your father and come. Also, do not be concerned about your goods. For the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Then the sons of Israel did so. And Joseph gave them carts according to the command of Pharaoh, 
and he gave them provisions for the journey. He gave to all of them, to each man, changes of garments. But to Benjamin, he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. And he sent to his father these things, ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread and food for his father for the journey. So he sent his brothers away and they departed. And he said to them, See that you do not become troubled along the way. Then they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan, to Jacob their father. Joseph is still alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still, because he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob their father revived. It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. So Israel took his journey with all that he had, and came to Beersheba, and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. Then God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night. Jacob, Jacob. Here I am. I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make of you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again, and Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. Then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob, their little ones, and their wives in the carts which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. So they took their livestock and their goods, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and went to Egypt, Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons and his sons' sons, his daughters and his sons' daughters, and all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. For months we've been looking at the birthing of a nation, from God calling a man named Abraham to leave his family to a land he was going to give him, the including of his son Isaac in that promise and his grandson Jacob in that promise in the midst of faults like you wouldn't believe they were a family just like the rest of our families betraying each other, backstabbing, bad-mouthing, cheating. <laughs> but God's promise still stands. Who's thankful for grace? It's a story of God's purpose accompanied by grace because it takes grace to fulfill it because mankind needs the grace of God, right? And so the story comes to Joseph who at the age of 17, his brothers hated him and they sold him into slavery and led their father to believe that he'd been killed by a wild animal. For 22 years, Jacob thought he was dead. 13 of those years, Joseph was a slave and then a slave in prison. 
And then uh, for seven of those years, Joseph was having the time of his life. He had interpreted Pharaoh's dream properly. And it was harvests like you can't believe of abundance. And Joseph was in charge of collecting 20% of everybody's harvest. There's a lesson in that about government. Once government starts receiving from you, they rarely reverse. And you'll see that in this story, but that's a whole other story. So today, the story is of Joseph reconciling with his brothers, hugging them, kissing them, weeping over them, blessing them, giving them multiple items of clothing and prizes and sending abundance home to Hebron, where he'd come from, to help them persuade his father to bring the whole family back to Egypt because it was five more years of famine. It was a terrible drought, five more years of, of no abundance, no fruit, just poverty and loss. Just come into Egypt where it's safe. We have all this food stored, and we'll put you up in the best part of the country. And the whole family can move here. Pharaoh caught wind of it, and he sent carts with them. So they go back with wagons, things that they didn't have as a mode of transportation, to haul all their stuff back. He says, don't worry about your stuff. Don't worry about your goods. We'll give you the best stuff here. Just leave those antiques there. <laughs> Come here, and we'll give you new stuff. Leave your junk at home. We'll bless you. And so... It happened. Now, prior to his reconciling with his brothers, Joseph wasn't sure that he trusted him. So he allowed them to believe he was just an Egyptian. But he set up a series of tests to see if they really cared about his full brother. They, these brothers were his half brothers, 10 of them. But he had a full brother, the youngest in the family, Benjamin. Set it up where they could just abandon him, allow Benjamin to be a slave in Egypt while they went home to save their skins. And and they wouldn't do it. They stayed there with him. And then Judah put himself in the place of Benjamin to rescue all his brothers. He said, listen, let me be your slave. Please don't break my father's heart by keeping Benjamin. And it broke Joseph. And he revealed who he was. And he also had seen, because they would communicate freely with each other and argue and bicker in Hebrew, not knowing he understood it, he could see and hear that they regretted what they had done to him. And so it's a glorious day after 22 years of sorrow, of reunion and reconciliation and beautiful family. Isn't that awesome? How good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It is a blessing. Like the water comes from the top of a mountain, the blessings of God flow on unity. So it's important that we walk in unity with each other. They got to move to the best part of Egypt. I don't know if you've ever heard of Frank the Pillow Man. He, Frank advertises these sheets that come from this part of Egypt. The cotton raised there. All right. Today, I'd just like to talk about reconciliation. But first of all, I want to talk about Joseph. Because our series is looking at the story and seeing Jesus. In Judaism... They talk about four craftsmen, four messianic figures, four metaphors, four possible literal prophecies to be fulfilled that they look forward to. 
They talk about Messiah ben Joseph. They talk about Messiah ben David. They talk about Elijah. And they talk about the righteous priest. To us, these things all point to Jesus. He is a whole lot like Joseph, right? Ben Joseph means the son of Joseph. And literally in the natural realm, he was the son of Joseph. Yeshua Josephson. If he was Swedish. Yeshua, the son of Joseph. Joseph was definitely a messianic figure. Because were it not for him, the family would not have survived and God's promises wouldn't have come to pass. And of course, we know David was promised that the scepter of authority would not leave his bloodline. And we know that Christ was a natural descendant of heaven and of David. In fact, both Joseph, his adopted father, and Mary, his natural mother, their bloodlines go all the way back to David. Through Bathsheba, (laughs) who had four sons, two of those sons, Uh, we're in the bloodline of the family of Jesus. And of course, Elijah, John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah, didn't he? He fit in with with their prophecies. And of course, Jesus ever lives to be the righteous priest to make intercession for us. So this is a beautiful thing in theology that Christ is all these things. Who's glad the Lord opened your eyes? So today I'd like to talk about the roots and fruits of real reconciliation. Keep in mind that Christ assigned us the ministry of reconciliation. If someone's at odds with you, you got to do everything in your power to make it right. As much as depends upon you, walk in peace with all men, the Bible says. But before that assignment came, he reconciled us to God by taking our place and paying the ultimate penalty for any kind of sin you can imagine. No matter how wicked it is, death is the ultimate penalty, is it not? And he paid that penalty for us. Why? To reconcile us to God. He hung between heaven and earth as God and man to reconcile us to God. There's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. But In reconciliation, there's some important lessons we need to learn so that our lives reflect. Who knows, we're called to reflect the love of Jesus to the world, right? The word reconciliation in the old Webster's Dictionary is the act of reconciling or joining, rejoining parties at variance, at odds with each other. It's the renewal of friendship after a disagreement of enmity. It's an agreement of things seemingly opposite, different, or inconsistent. You can reconcile with someone and not totally agree on every single thing. If, if you're that kind of person, people have to agree with you on every single little jot and tittle, then you're going to be a very lonely person because nobody's going to see things exactly like you. If they do, then you may be in a cult. <laughs> Let's use this word in a sentence. Webster did this. Reconciliation and friendship with God really form the basis of all rational and true enjoyment. Reconciliation makes sense. So if you hurt, pursue 
healing. If you've hurt someone, pursue healing. Jesus put the monkey on both parties' backs. He said, if you've come to offer your gift and there you remember someone has aught with you, leave your gift at the altar and go and make things right and then come back and offer your gift. He also said, if you have aught with someone, if you're the offended party, go to the person alone. People often go to everybody but the person that hurt them. Go to them alone, and if it doesn't go well, then take someone with you and work it out. And if that doesn't work, then involve the leadership of the, of the church, is what I believe he meant. Christ said that in Matthew 18. So, reconciliation is important. It is basic Christianity 101. It's not all the things that people make church out to be. Without reconciliation, we're not a church. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm in the midst. Where two of you will agree on anything, I will do from heaven. But if I walk in a life of disagreement with others, you know what happens when you pray? God says, talk to the hand. Sometimes the resistance in my life isn't the devil. It's God. And so, he definitely doesn't see things the way we see them, right? There's my view, there's other people's view, and then there's God's view. Guess who's going to win? God. So we're talking about real reconciliation. Real reconciliation springs from a desire to forgive. Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He wept aloud, and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. Now, must have been really loud, right? But it, the word it there is in italics. Uh, I'm sure Pharaoh had a huge yard, and Joseph wasn't living in a duplex with Pharaoh. He had his own place. So Pharaoh heard about it. His household heard about it. Who knows, word spreads. Joseph's crying really bad, really loud. And so Pharaoh heard about it and, and investigated and found out what happened, I'm sure. Real reconciliation reaches out to our offenders. So real reconciliation is a desire to forgive. It's not just wanting to patch things up and go on with life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just kind of sweep it under the rug. It really wants to forgive. Joseph wanted to forgive his brothers. He'd been miserable for 22 years. I'm sure unforgiveness wasn't eating him up. He, his heart was in the right place. To forgive. Not to live with an offense. But to, to forgive. Well, shouldn't the brothers have come to him first? Yes, they should have. But they didn't know where he was. They were the ones in the dark. I knew a very offended person in my family that wanted everybody that offended him to come to him. And many times those people didn't even know they had offended him. And other people were scared of him. He was a male. And uh, his defense was, well, God doesn't even forgive unless you ask him. 
Hold on. Hold on. Jesus was a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The work of forgiving the sins of the world and paying for them was done since the beginning of time. And on the cross, Jesus prayed for his offenders. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He's blessing his offenders. He wasn't saying, oh, you sweethearts, you, I know you really don't mean this. But neither was he saying, you idiots, how dare you? No, does God help them? You're hurt. You can pray for those that have hurt you. Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So it springs from a desire to forgive, and it reaches out to our offenders. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers couldn't answer him, for they, dis they were dismayed in his presence. You reckon? This guy could have him squashed like a bug. I mean, this is Egypt. Centuries ago, there is no political correctness. It's Pharaoh's word or you're dead, right? Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. In Genesis 40, I think it's verse 15, he said he was kidnapped from Canaan. He was just doing what his daddy told him and his brothers threw him in a hole. If that's not kidnapping, what is it, right? And the ransom wasn't paid by his dad. The ransom was paid, 20 pieces of silver, to some wholesale slave traders who took him to Egypt, probably traded him for 30, who knows? But the responsible parties in this story were his brothers. And he's reaching out to them. It's me, guys. <laughs> I'm the one bawling and squalling. It's reconciliation day. I've so looked forward to this time. Real reconciliation seeks to terminate sorrow. He didn't heap guilt on them. They were already guilty. He didn't pile on the shame. They had lived with it for over two decades. He sought to relieve their guilt. Now, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. God did this. He's looking on the bright side. It's all about how things end, right? You may not like the process, but you like how it ends. You may not be living your best life now, as some people promise you, but you will be living your best life then when that day comes. Real reconciliation impacts future generations. God sent me before you to preserve a posterity. What is that? That's your bloodline. That's your family tree. That's your descendants for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So there's more going on when we reconcile with others than just us. But it's the future outcome of the blessing that God gives when we walk in unity with one another. You're impacting the future for bad when you withhold humility and forgiveness and seeking reconciliation. But you impact the future for good when we 
swallow our pride, put our fear beneath our feet, man up, woman up, and pursue wholehearted reconciliation with others. Real reconciliation perceives God working at all times. We used to sing a song, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I will bless the Lord at all times. It's in the Psalms. Why do you, how can we bless him at all times? By perceiving things from his viewpoint. He's working. That other song, you've been working even when I don't see it, you're working. He's working at all times. So Joseph told his brothers, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. We talked about God's providence last week. And the definition of providence has kind of been lost in theological debates. But basically... It's God making provision in advance of the need. In his providence, God made provision for the famine in the wisdom of the man he had favored named Joseph. In his providence, he made provision for the famine by giving Egypt seven years of plenty. That's the providence of God. In his providence, God is working out all things for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We know that good ultimately is conforming us to the image of Jesus. So in his providence, he is working, even when we don't see it, he's working at all times. So you didn't send me here. God's hand was in this. Some people blame God for everything bad that happens. He could have stopped it. It's true. He could have stopped it, but he didn't. Why? There's something greater at work than just my desires for my personal comfort. Amen? Amen? So don't get mad at him, but trust him. Put all our trust in you, Lord. Real reconciliation brings healing to the whole family. He said, hurry, go up to my father in verse, whatever that number is, verse 13. Hurry and bring my father. Let's get everybody together. Let's include others. Because what these brothers had done was terrible. You know, Jacob, through what he had done, was estranged from his father for 20 years. And then he gets to see how his dad felt, kind of, sort of, kind of by being separated from Joseph for 22 years, thinking there was no hope of ever seeing him again. And it wasn't at Joseph's manipulative doings. It was his brothers. Yep, they took after their daddy. (laughs) Real reconciliation practices great generosity. You know, if someone has committed a crime and really hurt you deeply, I'm not sure that you should let them babysit your kids. But if you have reconciled, why be stingy? Why not bless? When he made the plan for the family to come back to him, Joseph said, you shall dwell in the land of Goshen. You shall be near to me, you and your children, your children's children, your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you, lest you and your household 
and all that you have come to poverty because there's five more years of famine. He's being generous to the guys that have robbed him unbelievably. He blessed them with far more silver than they ever sold him for. Refunded all their money every time they tried to buy food, you know. And above that and beyond, you know, they, they took his, his robe of many colors, tore it, and put blood on it, stole it from him, and sent him on in his skivvies, so to speak, proverbial ephod or whatever he was wearing, to go into slavery. And what does he do? In Egypt, he blesses them with outfits. They went home looking good. Of course, Benjamin got more outfits than they did, but they all got at least two outfits. That is generosity personified. That is the spirit of Jesus. Saul officially is putting Christians to death, making widows out of wives and orphans from children by having their dads executed, cruelly executed. And yet God in his grace brought Saul to his senses, inspired to change his name to Paul, and he wrote over half the New Testament with an abundance of revelation that helped take the works of Jesus and drive it home. That's generous. Generosity. That's Jesus. He heals our families. He opens our eyes. He's, he, he's amazing. Real reconciliation expresses affection unreservedly. I mean, it's true, warm-hearted affection. If you're a hugger, it's a bear hug. If your affection's expressed in handshakes, it's a hearty one. If your love language is words of affirmation, you are bragging up a storm on that person, how much you love for them. All right, you got the point. He fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck. He's with his big brother. Moreover, he kissed all his brothers and wept over them, and after that, his brothers talked with him. What a day. I cannot imagine how that felt. What a day that was. Have you ever been at odds with someone and then you get to reconcile? You wind up having a stronger relationship than you had before the offense happened. You've gone to see Jesus together and come away brothers. Now obviously there's things like marriage and wind up in divorce and all that stuff, you, you know, um, in, in, in the Old Covenant law, if someone was divorced, it was an abomination to go back and remarry that person if you had already remarried. I've seen it work in two cases I know of where the second spouse had died and the person reunited with the first spouse and God blessed it. But, you know, you can't unscramble eggs. But you can walk in peace. You can Real reconciliation resists being envious of others. This could have been a test by giving Benjamin more stuff than them. You know, the ten brothers get some changes of garments. Benjamin gets 
five changes of garments, and 300 pieces of silver. What are you going to do about it? I just have to say this about America and the world. It's eat up with envy. That's evil. Class envy is evil. What opportunities have come your way? Take advantage of them, and you will prosper. Plant something in the ground, and it can reproduce more than what you planted. But to succumb to envy is just dumb. Obviously, there can be injustice to work out. But to fall prey to envy is just not right. It's Joseph's power to give to whoever he wants to give. These people are not little kids. Little kids have to learn this. But if you coddle them, they'll grow up envious people. A preoccupation with fairness will hinder God's will being done in your life. Well, it's not fair. It's not fair. You know? It's not fair that the shepherd leaves the 99 to go look for the one that's not faithful. It's not fair that the prodigal son gets a party thrown for him with dancing. <gasps> it's not fair that they kill the fatted calf for him and put a ring on his finger. I've been the faithful one. You see the spirit in that? It's the father's authority to do what he wants. If he wants to make the church across town the biggest church in the world, that's the father's business. The father's doing it. You better keep your hand off of it, right? Bless what God's doing. And you know what? You'll be blessed in the process. So Joseph could do what he wanted to his little brother and leave the other brothers out. He didn't owe them nothing. But they could be thankful. The father's that way. Just love him and trust him and rejoice. When your brother's rejoicing, rejoice with him. When he's weeping, weep with him. But this thing of wanting everything to be fair and doled out and all that stuff, that's just ridiculous. I was at a church once that they served muffins in, the, in their fellowship area before service. And they had a muffin Nazi. A person making sure you didn't get too much muffin and not leave enough muffin for somebody else. It's like, I made up my mind there. I said, Lord, if we ever have muffins, they're going to be individually wrapped, and there's not going to be anybody there to police how much muffins you get. <laughs> Obviously, we want to teach our kids not to be hogs, filling their pockets with muffins. We had some of that for a while. Real reconciliation improves other relationships. Why? When I reconcile, I learn something that impacts my other relationships. So he sent his brothers away and they departed. They said to him, he said to them, see that you do not become troubled along the way. All right, that's King James. The other translations say, you guys better not quarrel on the way. Judah, how dare you get the idea of selling him into slavery? Well, you guys wanted to kill him. And Reuben, all y'all are morons. I wanted to get him back to dad. That's why I suggested the hole so you guys would leave him alone and I could go back later and get him. Well, where were you when we did this? Joseph didn't want any of that. It's over, guys. We've reconciled. The blame game has got to stop. 
He had witnessed some of that in their first appearance before him. Real reconciliation encourages the discouraged. Jacob had been discouraged for years. He had four wives, and his favorite one gave him two sons, and one of those sons was his favorite son, had been destroyed by an animal. Isn't that terrible to believe your child's been killed by an animal? So they went up out of Egypt, came to the land of Canaan, to Jacob their father, and they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. Can you believe it? And Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe him. I wish it was true. You guys don't be doing this. He knew manipulators when he saw them. He was one of them. When they told him all the words of Joseph that Joseph had said to him, and when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. And on his way, he goes to Beersheba and offers a sacrifice and at night has a vision from God. He spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am. He said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you a great nation. And Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. What does that mean? I'll tell you what I believe. Joseph will be with you when you die. And he was. The end of 49 and the first part of 50, those two chapters, is the passing of Jacob, his death, and Joseph was there. July of 2019, I went to see my father for the last time. And he was catatonic. His mouth was open. His eyes are open. He's just staring at the wall, breathing. And I thought, God, he could be like this for weeks. But my wife had urged me, you got to go, you got to go, you got to go. So I went and sat down. I was tired. It had been a long day. 20 minutes later, my sister-in-law, who was holding his hand, said, he's gone. <laughs> he died. His eyes still open, his mouth still open, staring at the wall. I walked over to him, and I completely forgot about doing this till I read this story. And I pushed my fingers on his eyelids and closed them, and they stayed closed. Joseph shall put his hands on your eyes. Those were comforting words to an old man that had lived a long time. When you pass, it's a blessed thing to have your family all around you, right? Nobody on their deathbed thinks, I wish I'd spend another day at the job. No, where's my family? Real reconciliation relates to the fulfilling of prophecy. This traveling to Egypt had been prophesied decades earlier in one of Abram's earlier visitations from God when he had cut the animals in pieces and kept the buzzards away and then God put him to sleep and passed between the pieces as a burning torch in a smoking oven. I believe that was like the cloud and the fire. 
And he said to him, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, you shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. He's going to bring them back as the God of providence, as God's hand of judgment on a nation called the Amorites. Are there prophecies in your life waiting fulfillment? God, where's your calling at? And the blockage is a need for reconciliation. As a boy, I grew up in Africa and fell in love with their folk proverbs. They have the most insightful, wise way of saying things. And one of the things they would say is the person you hate has your joy in their pocket. It's time to empty their pockets, folks. It's time. The roots and fruits of real reconciliation is really all about the root and fruit of real reconciliation. Jesus is the root and the offspring of David. The source of David's life and a descendant of David. And he's the root and the fruit of reconciliation. He led the way from the foundation of the world all the way to the cross. And he's continuing to lead the way as our high priest. Remember the four craftsmen, the four messianic figures in Judaism? Includes the righteous priest. He's the righteous priest. He ever lives to make intercession for us. He ever lives by his spirit to lead us, to reconcile those who are at odds with us. Let's pray. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray that you would speak to every heart in this room. That if there's anyone we need to reconcile with, show us what to do. Lord, I pray for those here who have done everything in their power to reconcile with someone or someone that are at odds with them. They've obeyed you. Lord, this word is not to bring condemnation there. But Lord, help them to stand strong and not to undo the work they've begun. Lord, help give us eyes to see that you're working, even when we can't see it, you're working. But Lord, I pray for those of us who have not done everything in our power, as you would lead us and guide us. Lord, uh, maybe we've gotten bad counsel. Lord, help us to pursue good counsel from you and from your people. In Jesus' name, we rejoice in the fruit that's going to come from the reconciling of differences. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to speak the name of Jesus Over every heart and never mind Because I know there is peace within your presence I speak I 
just want to speak the name of Jesus Till every dark addiction starts to break Declaring there is hope and there is freedom I speak Jesus Your name is power your name is healing your name is life break every stronghold shine through the shadows burn like a fire i just want to speak the name Over fear and all anxiety To every soul held captive by depression I speak Jesus Your name is power Your name is healing Your name is life the shadows burn like a fire your name is power your name is healing your name is life break every stronghold shine through the shadows burn mountains and Jesus in the streets Jesus in the darkness over every enemy Jesus for my family I speak his holy name Jesus shout Jesus from the mountains and Jesus in the streets And Jesus in the darkness Over every enemy And Jesus for my family I speak the holy name Jesus Shout Jesus from the mountains And Jesus in the streets Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus. Your name is power, your name is healing, your name is Every stronghold shine through the shadows, burn like a fire. I just
again and instead of depression say unforgiveness you do that every soul held captive by unforgiveness I speak Jesus lay your hand on your heart and then hold your hand out to represent those that need this I just want to speak the name of Jesus over fear and all anxiety Every soul held captive by unforgiveness, I speak Jesus. Your name is power. Your name is power. Your name is healing. Your name is life. Break every stronghold. Shine through the shadows, burn like a fire. Thank you, Lord. Break every stronghold, shine through the shadows, burn like a fire. That part of our nature that says no to the will of God, Saint, that's a stronghold. Strongholds are not foreign religions. Those things are nothing. Strongholds are in our minds. What we believe, we refuse to lay down. Break every stronghold. Shine through the shadows. Burn like a fire. They're in our minds. Can we just put a hand on our head and another hand towards heaven? Lord, if there's any strongholds in us, break them. Break every stronghold. Shine through the shadows. Burn like a fire. 
Jesus healed bodies, he healed lives, he cast out devils, but he gave commands that healed relationships. We are individuals. As Americans, we tend to be hyper-individuals. But he also relates to us as a group, as a people. When you're a parent and you have more than one child, you'll understand. My children, you kids. God relates to us as a group. And so, you can live with your unforgiveness, but the rest of us are, are held back. So there's more involved than just you. It's us. For the sake of God's kingdom in the earth, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and in my life as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name. Amen. Make sure you don't discount conviction as depression. Oh, I need to do something fun. I need to watch a comedy. I need to drink something or take something because I'm feeling depressed. You may not be feeling depressed at all. You may, be, you may be feeling convicted by the Holy Spirit. Well, it feels like guilt to me. It is because it is guilt. It's God calling you to repent. And the guilt will go. The depression will lift. But please don't Use religion to try to cover up conviction. I need for you to bless me. Just bless me. Just bless me. No, obey the Lord. Obey the Lord. Amen. Why am I talking like this? I grew up in church. <laughs> and we've been so blessed with unity. And I want us to continue to walk in that. So, Lord, may your word that spoke to me today from the story it, it was it was just there speak to us and change us in jesus name amen amen you know there's a, a well-known pastor from argentina that preached the same sermon for six months he would ask a couple questions said well i have to do it again i don't want to do that i want to go on to the next story so who will heed the word and pray and ask the lord is there anything in this word for me May I apply? Let's do it. Amen. Come back next Sunday. E.W. Jackson's in the house. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. The peace that passes understanding. The peace that is more than a feeling of wholeness and goodwill. But the peace that makes relationships right. In Jesus' name. Amen. Go get them, tigers.